Good evening, everyone. It has been an absolute pleasure to be here this week. I'm so thankful for the invitation. I'm thankful for everything to Kendall and to Tammy for opening their home to me and the hospitality that has been shown. You know, as I told you, I don't know a time that I haven't known Kendall Fox. Now, there are a lot of memories that I have of Kendall Fox when I was uh, younger, specifically in places like Plant Hills Christian Camp, where the first time, one of the first memories I have is Kendall pulled up in this little four-door car. I believe it was silver in color. And uh, he gets in the trunk, doesn't say anything to anybody, just gets in the trunk, he grabs a bow and arrow and a piece of white rope. And he just starts walking down to the creek. And in this creek, or this, I mean, they called it a river, but it really is a creek, there's this big pool. And he's looking in this pool and he's looking and he says, there it is, boys. And he takes this and he ties this rope. He's watching. He ties the rope to the arrow and he shoots down into the water and he pulls this fish up and he said, I got my dinner, boys. I'll see you all later. And he goes to the kitchen and cooks it up. That's just Kendall. It's always been Kendall. I'm not eating your camp food. I'm going to cook my own food. <laughs> but that's one of the earliest memories I remember having of Kendall. The thing is, after that, that evening, Kendall spoke to us at camp, and that's when I got to see a man of God, a man that fully and wholeheartedly is going to follow God, and he's going to preach the Word, and nothing but the Word, and I'm thankful for that, brother. Appreciate that very much, because it's something that all of us get to learn from, and all of us get to follow those type of examples. You know, this week... You guys, I got to eat dinner with a great group of people tonight. And I, I thank you guys so much. I'm so thankful for the fellowship. I'm so thankful for this week. You know, as, as we call this, uh, I love bonus time. Uh, I, I love gospel meetings because it is bonus time for fellowship. It is bonus time for worship. It is bonus time to getting to hear the word of God preached. And when we get bonus time, I, I want us to understand that how many of those people on the outside of God have this vision of heaven? And their vision of heaven is a lake or a golf course or a hunting stand or something worldly. We think that heaven is going to be like it is here, only every time we shoot a bow or a gun, it's going to be the biggest buck we've ever seen before in our life. Or it's, every time we cast a line, it's going to be the biggest fish we've ever caught in our life or every time we swing a golf club we're going to play 18 holes in 16 shots that's really what we feel like right how boring would that get you see the point of heaven the point of this life and getting to heaven is because we are going to get to be and and truly and i realize it's not physical it's spiritual but i want you to picture this physically for just a moment we are going to be in the presence of God himself, of Christ the Lamb himself, of the Spirit himself. And we're going to get to worship him in spirit and in truth all the time. And we are going to be with those of like precious faith. And so this week has been such a blessing and such a treat for me because I've gotten to fellowship with those of like precious faith that I pray we all stay faithful so that we can spend eternity together. I don't want to be, we don't have to travel to see one another then. We get to spend eternity. We don't even have to go to sleep because there is no night there. We're never going to have anything that breaks down. Our bodies break down, right? I get sick and tired of my body breaking down. I don't have to have any gray hair. I don't have to, I hope I have a beard still. But, you know, I think beards are awesome. That's the way it is. This week we've gotten to be challenged, right? All of us. That this is a week we look at me. I get to be selfish this week. I hope you all have been selfish this week. And maybe not in the greatest of ways. I hope that we've taken this week as a challenge. To say, Can God count on me? And what it means to be dependable. And we looked specifically at what it meant to be Christian in our Sunday morning lesson and then Sunday evening we looked at can the or Sunday afternoon we looked at can the church depend on me Monday night we looked at can my family depend on me and then last night we think about this can the world count on me to be godly at all times 
Am I dependable and reliable in that way? And tonight, we're going to take all those lessons and we're going to put a, hopefully a nice pretty little bow on them. And here's my question for you. What are you going to do with it? I want you to think about this. What are you going to do with this now? You have the responsibility. I've loved getting to preach this lesson and, and be here this week and being able to see you guys and to spend time with you. What are you going to do with it now? Are you going to let it fall on deaf ears? Are you going to sit there in a the pew and, and, and talk to people when they come in and say, Oh, man, you should have been here for the meeting. Yeah, what was it about? You should have been here for it. Talk to me about it. Well, you should have been here for it. Or are you going to take it from inside of here, apply it right here so that you can be seen out there? You see, that's the whole point of it. The whole point is, what does it mean for me to be dependable? Can God count on me? My brothers and sisters, can my family, can the world be able to count on me? And can I look myself in the mirror? Can I look myself in the eye and say that God can count on me? So tonight's challenge, what are you going to do with it? I'm asking you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is getting ready to have his prayer in the garden. I want to back up to verse number 31. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to do look at verses 31 through 35 this evening. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night... Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the others. Can you picture this? Jesus is told, he's speaking specifically to his disciples right here. This night because of me. Peter, right? We love Peter. We love to pick on Peter. I'm going to pick on him for just a second. Peter, now those 11 losers might do that to you. I'm never going to do that, right? Never going to do it. Jesus turns to look at him. Let me explain something to you, Peter. Mr. Bold, Mr. I'll get out of the boat, right? At least he got out. Okay, let's, let's give him a little credit. He got out of the boat. Everybody else stayed right there in the boat. He got out of the boat. Now, he may have sank, and we give him a hard time for it, but he got out of the boat. And here again, he's starting to get out of the boat. Jesus says, before you get out of the boat, buddy, let me explain something to you. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, meaning before morning, you're going to deny me three times. Now look over with me, uh, beginning in verse 74 of Matthew 26. At verses 74 and 75, Peter here has begun to deny Jesus. He has been allowed in. John's really helped him out and gotten him into the, in, into the city, so that he in behind the wall, so he's able to, to see things and at, watch press. And here he says in verses 74 and 75, then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crowed, me three times so he went out and wept bitterly now in Luke chapter 22 about verse 60 this happens where this Luke's account tells us that when he denied him the third time the rooster crowed he locked eyes with somebody locked eyes with one another he turned in his face and looked right at him and we think about can you imagine Jesus turning and looking at you and locking eyes with you. They lock eyes. I just, I can't imagine at that point being, being Peter. Verse 61 of Luke 22, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows were the times. 
You ever get that look on your face? Can you imagine when we sin, turning and locking eyes with the Lord? Jesus has told him, this is what you're going to do to me. And there's the reminder. Can you imagine as you've been scourged and beaten, as you're about to go through all of these things, everyone around you has left you. He turns and looks at him right in the eyes. And we think about Jesus then restoring Peter in, in John chapter 21. And he goes to him and he tells him three times, right? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? The third time, Peter's kind of upset with it. Lord, you know that I love you. Right? Can you imagine the exasperation in his voice to say, you know that I love you? Feed my sheep. He still gets a little selfish, doesn't he? And he looks, turns and, and he looks. Jesus tells him, even predicts how he's going to die. That, you know, when you're young, you're able to direct your own steps. But when you're old, somebody's going to take you by the arm and they're going to direct you and take you to a place that you do not want to go, signifying the way that he would die. And Peter turns to look at that disciple. What about him? You just you don't get you get over that. He's being selfish. You follow me. And there's the direction I want to take you in tonight. You follow me. What will you do with the message? What will you do? And this is why I've asked you all week to look at you, not somebody else. Peter turned. What about him? Don't worry about him. If I will that he lives, then what's that to you? You follow me. So the responsibility we have, you follow me. I want you to take it. We keep Peter in mind because this is one that just, when I think of what will you do with this, we have to make application of the things then that we have learned. And to make application of the things that we have learned, I look at, name, hey, rightly so. I think at times we tear the mickey out of Peter, and I think Peter deserves it at times. The guy staring me in the mirror, staring back at me in the mirror, doesn't deserve to have it torn out of him too. Okay, I deserve it. I absolutely deserve it. But I want you to look at Peter tonight. Second Peter chapter one, beginning there in verse one. Simon Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have you been given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are you, are more unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You think about these words we have read. I want you to think about verses 5 through 8. You want to know how to be neither barren nor unfruitful? Apply what you've learned. Now the thing about this is, as we think about adding to your faith, virtue and to virtue knowledge to knowledge self-control and so on and so forth this is not a one-time action this brethren is continuous action when we think about applying the things that we have learned it's not just a one-time thing it is continuous action we must as children of God set our minds to think about what is godly and what is right and then continue those things. We have to continue to show it. We have to continue 
to do it. I think about wisdom and people, we think about James, right? James chapter 1, James says, For if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally, meaning he'll bestow it upon you. But don't ask in doubt. You're double-minded and unstable in your ways if that's the way that you ask for it. But we have this knowledge, right? We have looked this week at what we need to do in order to be dependable, reliable Christians, children of God, that we can be dependable and reliable for Him to everyone who is around us. We gain knowledge. If you want to watch wisdom, it is knowledge put to use. I can study this book. I can read this book. I can do all these things. Anybody know an atheist? Do you know that most atheists have a better understanding or better, we'll call it this book, than a lot of Christians do? They have more of this book memorized than And they don't have a lick of wisdom because there's not something that they apply to their life. You see, it doesn't matter how much of this book you have memorized right up here. If it's not applied right here to be seen out, it is absolutely worthless. Times after he swore he would never do it. Now you want to, if we go back and look at Matthew chapter 27 uh, from verses 74 and 75, and we can look at verses 73 uh, or 71 and following, and we see the fact that as he gets in, people are like, especially these ladies keep coming up, well, you're one of them, aren't you? Well, you're one of them. No, 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 I'm not one of him. I'm not one of them. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. Peter wanted to make sure he looked nothing like this. And congratulations, when you begin to curse and to swear, guess what? You look nothing like him. Nothing like him. So as you're cursing and swearing, and then you deny him for the third time, and you lock eyes with him, can you imagine? When we look at this and we think, man, poor Peter. Shame on you, Peter. And Yes, shame on you, Peter. Shame on you, Corey. Shame on you for the way that you have lived your life at times. Shame on you when you slip up and, and sin. Shame on you for not applying what you know to do. Shame on you. The responsibility we have is we get to add these things. We get to go through as bond service of Jesus to be restored, to be able to be bought back and redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Just as Peter was, you and I too can live for Him. You and I too. Look at what he says there in verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, if you have all these things then, be even more diligent to make your call to for if you do these things, you will never stumble. And an inheritance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom. Eternal. Something that cannot be taken away. Something that you cannot lose. Something that is always there. We've got to live for it. We've got to make sure that we add those things to our faith. That we make sure that we are diligent. That we work at this to get it there to where it needs to be. I want you to think about a young woman by the name of Ruth for just a moment. In Ruth chapter 3, in verse 11, Boaz tells her that you are a virtuous woman, that everyone knows that you are a virtuous woman, that you demonstrate and display all of these godly characteristics. Will people be able to say the same thing about us? People out here, could they say that about us? that I know that you are a Christian, that I know that you are a child of God. Now this week I've been able to go around with Ken every day and we've gone to visit people, we've gone to see people, we've gone to see different people every single day. And you know what, every I know they all know. Everybody knows who he is. As much of a hard time as he gives to everybody and I'm thankful that he does. Because they all know him, but they all know who he is based on who he is. Not just that he's Kendall Fox. They know that he's a preacher. They know that he's a Christian. Do they say the same thing about us? Do they know those things about us? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. 
Exodus chapter 16. We're going to look there at verses 1 through 3. Exodus 16, beginning in verse 1, And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Let me ask you a question. What did the children of Israel get to watch for themselves? They got to watch the power of God. They saw the plagues. They get to plunder Egypt. They plundered Egypt, and Egypt was willing to allow them to plunder them. They handed them gold and silver and precious metals, and they handed them precious stones, and they gave them anything and everything that they needed. And they walk out of there. And they get to the Red Sea and, oh, woe is me. And then God, God parts the sea. And they're able to walk through on dry land. And he causes it to come right back into place. And he destroys the Egyptians who have come after them to take them. He destroys them. And here we are now. Oh, woe is me. Oh, that the Lord had killed us in the land of Egypt. At least there we had pots full of meat and bread for days and all this stuff to eat. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody that gets the hangries? My, my son Gavin, he's not here to defend himself, but trust me, Gavin knows this because I've said this about him more than once. Gavin gets the hangries. He's a Snickers commercial, okay? You ever watch those people in a Snickers commercial? Start off with like Danny DeVito and then there's this that it turns into when she has a Snickers bar. You're like... He gets angry, mean, when he's hungry. I get the same way, right? Let me ask you this question. How many of us get the same way when it comes to the Word of God? You ever feel yourself get the spiritual hangries? Can you tell when you haven't been eating the book when you haven't been spending time in it. They have the physical hangries here. And they spiritual hangries. Because they're not they're traveling. God's leading them. They have all of this has been done for them and been able to see God in power with their own eyes, right? Oh man, I need some meat. I need some bread. Pretty soon I'm going to need some water. Something to wash all this down with. They get so mad and so angry. Turn with me back to 2 Peter. This time we're going to go to chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse number 22. But it happened to them according to the proverb. A dog returns to his vomit and a sack washed to her wallowing in the mire. They long to go back to the person they used to be. Do we realize that when we have the spiritual hangries, we go back to the person we used to be? We go back to that person who is selfish and we get worldly and we can see ourselves as we're slipping away from God. These people have the physical hangries and you can watch them and you think to yourself, or at least maybe I do, I think to myself, how ignorant can you be with everything that you've watched God do? How do you start to concentrate now and curse Moses and Aaron and say, oh, God had killed us in the land of Egypt? How can you go back to that? And then I have to think of myself. How can I go back to that? How can I go back? You know, I think about gospel meetings and I think about church camp, camp and VBS. How do you feel when you come back from Bible camp? Boy, as a kid, I came back from Bible camp. I was on fire. I was on fire. 
I was ready to see people. I was ready to tell them all about my week and how everything was going, and I couldn't wait. Man, we get done with VBS, especially at Bonnie. We have, at Bonnie, we have 30 kids, okay? VBS, even the all of the community has a 4th of July, and our VBS is always the Monday after the 4th. The 4th of July was on a Sunday, so we started VBS on Monday the 5th, okay? But we have a 4th of July parade. It's the biggest and only parade, and it's and four wheelers and stuff. It's a good time. We have a fire truck. There's volunteer fire department. They drive their fire truck down, and every farmer wants to show off his tractor. Some farmers even go and steal other farmers' tractors and put for sale signs in them just to drive them down the road and scare that farmer. It's kind of fun to watch. But we get to make up bags and bag stuffers for the kids to pick up all the candy. Everybody's throwing candy and, and balls and prizes. Those parents look forward to it every year. And I've even had parents, This, I'm telling you, people and their ridiculousness and stupidity sometimes floor me and confound me. But we have members of nominations. We love to send our kids to your VBS. Why? Because why don't you? Well, you guys don't have instrumental music. Well, you guys don't have any help. Well, can you show me in Scripture? Can we sit down and study the Bible? No, it's just the way it's always been. But we'll send our kids to your VBS. Blows my mind. Are you kidding me? We send our kids because they're going to hear the Bible. We can't even send them to our own church to do that. Are you kidding me? It blows my mind. We have a hundred kids or more every night. Every night. Because their mom and dad know they're going to hear the Bible. <sighs> oh, makes me sick to my stomach every time. And I just look at him and shake my hand and think, how pathetic. And then I look at myself and I think, you didn't ask that person to come to services. You didn't ask that person to come to VBS. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't. Because you didn't apply what you learned. You didn't apply what you know to do. And you watch all these kids come and their faces are bright and shining and smiling. And they're singing those songs and they get excited about it. And then they get to go to class and they get to hear the word of God proclaimed and they get excited about it. And then they go home and they tell their parents about it and they're excited about it. And then their parents get up on Sunday morning and they go back to their denomination. And I'm like, you don't even get to hear the Bible. But it's what they do. We have a responsibility, brethren, to make sure we apply what we know because we cannot be those people who go back. We can't be the people that go back to this. And this is why I use that verse. I don't want you, and I realize this is something that I want you to know. This week has been so uplifting for me and so amazing for me because I look out in the audience, and Kendall can attest to this in the places that he's preached, that you always have those people who are beginning to maybe drift off, and you have those people who really don't want to be there, and you watch people as they sit there and they're on their phones. It drives me up a but then you have those people, and they're just like this. And they're sitting there, and they're staring at you, and they're locking eyes with you, and they're hanging on to every word. Do you know that the entirety of this congregation is like that? Man, I, you have no idea how intimidating that is as a preacher sometimes. You have no idea how incredible it is this week to see that. Because what I get to look out on is people who are on fire for the Lord. What I get to look out on are people who love the Lord. They love His Word. They love to live for Him. And they're dying that there are others that are very close and have been very close. They couldn't care less. I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful for you because of who you are and who you strive to be. And I pray that you never stop that. And I'm begging you to never stop that's why I'm asking you tonight, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the messages this week? I want negative things so we can think about some positive things. I want you to think about these things as, as, you, were, as you go through this because I want you to see the results of taking action. If you see the results of taking action in places like 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 8, that you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful, guess what? You're a person who took action. 
you're a person who took action. And we think about bearing fruit for the Lord and we need to be those trees with low-hanging fruit because we bear that much fruit in service to God. We need to be low-hanging fruit. We need to have branches that are about to break because of the fruit that we are producing for all of those things to faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, as you watch all of the godliness that is taking place in your life, you're going to see this and you're going to see it in each other and you're going to watch it as the world sees it too. We need to be people who are dangling it right there in front of them. Don't put it up here where they got to get a ladder to try to get to it or they got to grab a pair of binoculars to see if you even right there dangling in front of their face so that they understand and know that this is a person who cares about my soul and that it's going to go to heaven and be there for all eternity because they love me that much. Let's be those people that people can't help but see it in. We need to be fruit producers. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus... false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravenous wolves you will know them by their fruits do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles even, even so every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit a good tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a bad tree bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire therefore by their fruits you will know them they're going to know us by our action in life your fruits are your habit of life, your manner of life, your way of life. Is your, if your way of life is godly, they're going to see it. If it's ungodly, they're going to see it. And which one you are depends on you. The person looking back at you in the mirror. Again, I'm asking you tonight, don't think about somebody else in this building. Think about you. Look right at you. Am I that person who's bearing good fruit? Because if I'm bearing bad fruit right now, understand and know that God knows that. And I'm never going to be able to fool him. I've got to be right with God. And that's the person we are trying to make sure that we are pleasing to. We need to be good fruit bearers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look with me there at verses 8 through 11. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 8 through 11. And God is able to make all, the, all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything with all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us, the church, to God. We think about letting our light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Notice what He supplies. He's the supplier of everything in order to be seen by them. He's the supplier of everything that we need. And notice there, He gives liberally. It's the liberality of the gift. So the more we use it, the more that He gives. The more that we use it, the more that He gives. Do you see the trend? That's the responsibility we have. We increase our fruit by what we put into it. So what are you putting into it? What kind of effort, what kind of work are you putting into it? It's work for God. And the world sees God through us, the church, His children. We need to get to work. We need to understand, as we've looked at before in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10, that we have a purpose. And the purpose that we have is good works. And He purposed those even before the foundation of the world that we should walk in them. We need to be workers for the Lord. We sing the song, right? We, it's a theme song that we sing at preacher school at the Bible Institute of Missouri. I want to be a worker for the Lord. If we sing those words, do we mean them when we sing them? We look tonight. and we, I love that song, Heavenly Sunlight, because the word there that starts is walking in sunlight. And if we're walking, that's the manner and habit of life that we're to be living. Are we living in the sunlight? Or do we just sing those songs? If we just sing them, it's all lip service and our heart's not in it. And if we just sing them and we don't live it, we're lying as we sing it. We need to be truth. We need to show and demonstrate the truth. We must allow people to be able to see it as we see in places like John 13, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus said, this new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another even as I have loved you. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the responsibility we have. We must make sure that we show it to everybody around us. To have that love for one another that we see in Second or in First Peter chapter 1, verse number 22. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. There Peter writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. You know what fervent love is? It is active and moving. We see the same thing in chapter 3 and verse number 10 about this fervent heat that God's going to use to melt the, el the earth and elements that are in it. Everything in it. We need to have active, moving love for one another. We need to be there for one another to show each other what it is to be godly. Fervent love. They need to feel our love. And lastly, I'd ask you to turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 19 through 26. But I want you to turn to Acts chapter 11. And, and to give you a little bit of background here, as we look at this, this is Antioch of Syria that we are looking at. And this is Paul and Barnabas that are here. And Paul and Barnabas, and we're going to see Barnabas specifically here at the beginning. We're going to see Barnabas. And why Barnabas came to see them. Because news travels fast. Bad news, I think, always travels faster. But good news travels fast too. And look at this. Pay attention to what these people know. And everybody knows about the church in Antioch of Syria. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came, he had seen the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all with that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Anybody know a Jehovah's Witness? Anybody know the Mormons? Why? Because they're white t-shirts and they ride on bicycles and they have names that say elder. Because they show up at my house at the most inopportune times normally. And sometimes I hear them and I shut off the lights because I don't want to deal with those nut jobs. I mean, those guys are wackadoos, right? Let me explain something to you about Antioch of Syria for just a minute. Do you know that they knew the church? Look at, it, look at what it says in verse 19. Those that were scattered, they were dispersed after the stoning of Stephen they went about and hid in their homes and found caves and they hid there and they talked to no one ever. Is that what it says? No. They were persecuted, dispersed, and they went about preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. Let me explain to you and break this down as simply as I can for those who are reading this with us. In Acts chapter 11 verses 19 through 26... Do you know what the Christians in Antioch of Syria were known as? Oh, there's the Jesus people. The Jesus people are coming. They're followers of Jesus, and those are the Jesus people. Do you know what the church right here in Franklin County can be known as to those people right out there? Oh, here comes the Jesus people. They're going to come talk to me about Jesus. Can you think of anything greater to be known by than the Jesus people? than to be known as the church, than to be known as Christians. This is an absolute, I want you to think about this word, honor, to be able to be called a Christian. It's an honor. We don't wear it as a title, we wear it as a life. They wore it as a life. It's who they were. They applied the word. Took it out. And they gave it to everyone in the world around them. They were known in Antioch of Syria. 
Does it say Jerusalem? Do we even read about the apostles? That they were first called Christians? The first ones called Christians were Christians who were in Jerusalem who were dispersed after the stoning of Stephen. And they went about preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. And some of them made it to Antioch of Syria. And you know what those people did? They got to work. They got to work. You know what I think about when I look around this building? A group of people who got to work. A group of people who got to work. Who made sure they had a place where they were going to be able to meet. That they could invite people to come to. But that they could worship and glorify God the Father together. And the responsibility you have now is to go out there. Not to let it. Not to take this message. And, and listen I've appreciated so much the encouragement this week. But don't walk up to me and say hey that was a great lesson. Now just know I'm not going to do anything with it. But that was a great lesson. And I know you laugh, but you say, I would never actually say that. But if you don't do anything to it, that's exactly what I'm going to apply it. I'm not going to use it. Was it? Was it really great that I came? No. Kendall could have done any of this, all of this. And built you up as much. And I know we could have because I know the man in I want you to think of you, not Kendall, not Corey. I want you to think about you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with the message? Are you going to lock it in here or are you going to do something with it? I want to leave you with this. I worked for Lowe's for 10 years. I love my job, and I'm going to tell you this, and I'm not trying to be boastful or proud. I was very good at my job. When I started out, I was a grunt in the flooring department. And I was stacking tile, and I gave myself a hernia, and that's always a fun time. It was a horrible thing. But I went back to work, and I worked diligently, and I worked very hard. And I worked my way up to being a department manager for inside and outside lawn and garden. We were a brand new store. and we The first day that we walked in, you could walk in the front door and see out the back lumber door in the back corner. And that was the last time you were able to see it because then we got to busy. We got to work. We sat still. We did mass receiving. We got everything in. And I worked my way up to being a department manager. I had inside and outside lawn and garden. I had half the building. That was all mine. I was responsible for that. And let me tell you something. When I pulled into the building, I parked on that side of the building. And when I and I parked as far away from the building as you could. So when I got out of the car, I could take all that in. And I was excited and I was boastfully prideful about my end of the building. I was so full of myself. And like I said, I was good at my job. Okay? I was. People loved working for me because I got to work right next to them. If their hands were bleeding, mine were bleeding first because of moving all the stone and everything else around. I, I worked. I worked hard. and I worked my way up to being one of the assistant store managers. I came here to Chesterfield and went through assistant store manager training. And the ladies that were doing that training, I don't mean this rudely, but they were not intelligent. And in the back of the corner was one of our regional vice presidents who's sitting back there. And I said, ladies, this isn't right. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Can you just say what you're saying so that everybody else can hear you? And so I got up in front of the group, and there were a group of about 50 of us in there, and I said, this is what we're going to do because this is who we are. And that guy stood up and said, man, we're going to take you and put you right into store manager training so you can have your own store, and you're going to be on the fast track to being able to get there. I went back to work, and it was going to be a year before any of that could take place because they only opened it up every couple of years. So I was going to go back and be an assistant store manager, but I knew where I was headed. And boy, I had a big head about it too. When I walked back in those doors, you can imagine everybody knew what was going to be happening and taking place. Okay? I walked back in those doors on a Sunday, on a day that I could have been at services because technically I was off work that day. And I walked in those doors of that store because I was providing for my family. Already providing whether I'm there. Sunday after services, and my wife and my kids are home. I walk into the kitchen, 
And I look at my wife, and I said, how was church today? You guys saw Gavin. I don't have to look down to that boy anymore. I'm going to have to be looking up to him probably by the time I get home in a few, in a few hours and see him. He was seven years old at the time. And Gavin looked at me. He's standing there by his mom, and he steps out behind her, and he looks me dead in the eye, and he goes, why do you care? You're never there. Boy got sent to his room. Don't talk to me like that. See you. Good night. He hung his head and went to bed. He went to bed because he hurt his dad. Not physically, even emotionally. Spiritually, I was gut punched. Guess who was doing a good job of being the spiritual leader of their home? This guy had failed miserably. Change had to happen and change had to occur. You guys, in this past year, have been spiritually gut-punched. And I look at you and I, I see these faces of people who have been hurt. But I look at these faces of people who are on the mend because they're together. They desire to be right here. They desire to worship God. They desire to live for God. That's why my question for you this week is, can God depend on me? My question for you tonight is, will you apply what you've learned? Will you take it out there? Because let me explain something to you. In this room right here, in this assembly right here, that answer is yes. Because I can see it written in Christ. Because right here, there's strength in numbers, isn't there? Do we have the strength in numbers out there? No, but do you know that we can? On the days that you start to feel down, and the days that you start to feel depressed, and you start to have weak moments, do you know who you have? Those of like precious faith right here. And you know, the thing about technology is I'm not a fan of technology. I am computer illiterate. I am technologically dumb, okay? I'm not good with it but I know how to use my thumbs for now anyway to send a text message. I know how to hit the send button to make a phone call. And this man here can attest to it. There are times that I have called him to say, okay, how do I handle this situation or how do I do that? There are times that we just need to be built up because of frustrations and things that go on. A part of applying what you've learned is learning to lean on one another. A part of applying what you've learned is remembering and realizing that when I send a tenth text of the day, that person, my brother or sister in Christ, whoever I'm sending it to, is not going to be annoyed. They're going to be grateful that you've reached out. Because the whole point of this life is to get to the next one so that we can spend eternity together. This is a group of people who want to spend eternity together. And so don't think that you're going to bring them down. Don't think that you're going to stomp on their day because you're having a bad day. You see, the reason that people have good days is so they can help those who aren't having a good day to have a good day. Do you realize and understand that we get bonus time, but that we can have bonus time every single day? Now, we may not get to see all of everybody together. We haven't even gotten to see all of everybody together every night this week, right? Some of us have work, some of us have school, some of us have things that have been going on that have hindered us. But every time that we have the ability in the, to be here, we walk through that door. Let us understand that every time we have the ability to reach out to one another, send somebody a text and tell them you're thinking about them, praying for them, tell them to have a great day. See what happens. You'll watch and you'll see as you guys continue to grow closer and closer together. And you know what it does? It means you've applied what you learned. You've taken the knowledge of the book, this book right here, and you've put it to practice. I want you to think about this tonight. Think about you. Are you a member of the body of Christ tonight? Have you been baptized into Christ? If not, I want to explain this. I want to make this as crystal clear as I possibly can. You have no hope. None. Hope is where desire 
meets expectation. And your desire is not to go to heaven. You can say it all day long, but you don't live it. So your desire is not to go to heaven. Your expectation then should be only a place that is hot. The darkness or the blackness of darkness. A place that burns with fire and brimstone. There's not an ounce of hope, not a ray of light. Nothing. Because God is light. And you're going to be as far separated from Him as you could ever get. That's your future. That's what your eternity looks like outside of the body of Christ. You have to hear, believe. You have to have godly sorrow leading to repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. You have to make sure that you confess Jesus. You have to submit right there in the watery grave of baptism to allowing Him and His blood to wash away your sins. Then you rise to walk in newness of life and it is your responsibility to live faithful unto death. That's what you have to do to become a Christian. That's what the Bible tells us. That's not my opinion. And there's not one single part of that that's more important than the other. That's your responsibility. Maybe you're here tonight and you've done that. But you've gone back to the ways of the world. You get down, you get depressed, you start dragging everybody else down with you. And before you know it, you're gone to back to conforming to the world. And you've stopped being transformed and having your mind renewed. You've stopped applying what you've learned. Make it right before it's too late. If you have any need, we ask that you come now as together we stand and sing the song that's been selected.